play. Uh, we're going to take a moment for our children's church to gather over to my uh, left and your right at the Welcome Center. So as children's church gathers over there and our choir comes down, I want to take just a moment to invite you to open your copy of God's Word to Colossians chapter 4. And of course, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, please don't worry. It'll be on the screen for you to follow along with us and we're going to be picking up there again, verse 2, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 through verse 6. We'll be reading here in just a few moments. Y'all glad to be here today? Amen. I was thinking about the music today, and I love worship music, and I love all styles of music. I don't get caught up in any of it, and I was just thinking, regardless of your preference today, you had Matt Redmond, who's one of the new prolific songwriters of our day, you had the great old song on Christ the Solid Rock I Stand, and that's as foundational to the faith as any song we know. And then we close there with Jerusalem with the hoppers, and that's about as southern gospel as you can get. Amen. And anybody that's been around southern gospel music knows the hoppers and their music, and they, they did a pretty good job with that song too, I guarantee you. I love that. I'm looking forward to that day when we're gathered around the throne of God, aren't you? And that place he's going to prepare for us, and I'm just grateful to God for that. So Colossians chapter 4, we're going to open God's Word together. We're going to read together, and I want to continue our time through this wonderful book. If you found your place and you're physically able, I want to invite you to stand with me in honor and reverence to the reading of God's Holy Word. We made it through last week a, a whole half of a verse, amen? And uh, that's what's wonderful about the Word of God. You know, I've told y'all before, and I'll remind you again, I can remember when I was a young preacher, and I would uh, look at passages like Ephesians chapter 4, and I would look at the whole first 16 verses of those chapter, that chapter is in the same context about the church. And I remember reading 16 verses thinking, dear God, how, how, how am I going to be able to stand up there 10 minutes, you know? I mean, I 16 verses, how's this going to happen? And now, 30-something years later, by His grace, He has taught me so much from His Word that you could take a half of a verse and, you, you know, you could talk about it for days. I mean, you really could because there's so much truth in this Word today. And you know, if you lived 100 years, you'd never mine all the gold out of it. Amen? But we're going to do our best today. Colossians chapter 4. I'm going to read again from verse 2 with it being in the same context where we'll actually pick up in a portion of verse 5 and complete verses 5 and 6 today. Here's what the Word of God says. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, also praying for us that God would open to us a door for the Word to speak the mystery of Christ, which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. And here's where we picked up last week. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. And here's where we'll pick up today. Redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may be that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Father in Jesus name, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, my strength and my redeemer. God, you reminded me fresh this morning that I'm handling today the most two most important things under heaven to you. That is your word and your people. 
May I not do so flippantly, but may I do so faithfully. And may you be honored, and may the response to the gospel today be overwhelming as lives are changed. In Christ's name, amen and amen. Thank you. You can be seated today. We began talking about this section a few weeks ago. This is our third week in this section, and we talked about the demonstration of devotion. The first week we talked about in verses 2, 3, and 4 how a child of God who is a living demonstration of devotion to the Word of God and the Son of God would be one who had a focused prayer life. And then last week we picked up in verse 5 and talked about the first part of verse 5 how that a child of God who is a living demonstration of devotion to the Son of God and the Word of God would not only be one with a focused prayer life, but be one who would live a faithful public life. Very important. And we spent our time together last week talking about the first part of verse 5 where it says walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. And we talked about our walk, the walk of a child of God who is living as a demonstration of devotion with a faithful public life. And we looked at that in three areas. We talked about how we could do so materially, how we could make sure that we were not doing so liberally with a liberal theology, which has tremendously impacted and infiltrated the church. And we talked about legalism and legalistically, how that is such a natural-born church killer. It takes the joy out of serving God, and you begin to endure the work instead of enjoy the walk. And we ended by talking about that last week. And one of the last things I said to you last week was a quote by an African pastor, Morgan Chalulu, which I've never met, but I, I never even heard of till I read this. But he said a church that lives within its walls is no church at all. And we talked about how that can never be us if we're a demonstration devotion. We must be faithful touching the world from our front door across the street and around the world. But today I want to pick up in the last part of verse 5, and there are three words that he says there at the end of verse 5 that are very intriguing to me, and I pray will be to you too. He uses the words redeeming the time. He says, walk in wisdom to those that are outside, then quote, redeeming the time. So he's not just talking about our walk, but he begins to talk about our work. See, when we have a faithful public life, we're not just making sure our walk with God is consistent with the Word of God, but also the work or the service that we perform for the glory of God is all about Him and not about us. Now see, a Christian who is walking in wisdom is one who learns to be a good steward of his time. Many people would agree that a lot of us, me and you, and I guess all of us at times, struggle with the discipline of time management. We really do, and it's become an even greater struggle in the years that are. It's very important we know that. See, time is a non-renewable resource. Once it is gone, it is gone. You can waste time, you can spend time, or you can invest time. Very important we understand that. See, it slips by us at an alarming rate. Once it's gone, it's gone. It can never be recalled. You don't get it back. Those of you that have raised children and now you see your grandchildren are coming up and they one day they're born, the next day they're going to school, and the next day they're graduating. It just goes really, really fast. 
But the phrase redeeming the time can literally be translated to buy up time or make the most of every opportunity. That's why when I walk to this platform on Sunday, I promise you I've not come here to waste your time or to sound slick or polished or any of that kind of stuff. I have really come here today with a word from God to make the best use of the time that we have together here in worship so that lives will be changed by the glory of God through the word of God and the power of the spirit of God, not to waste time but make the most of every opportunity. See, every day that God gives us, He gives us 1,440 minutes or 86,400 seconds. Boy, y'all didn't know I was smart enough to count that high, right? 86,400 seconds or 1,440 minutes can be spent by us and us alone. We have to do that. We can. It's a check that's written to us every day that we can't hold to tomorrow to cash it. It has to be cashed that day. We cannot save time today for tomorrow. All of those minutes are ours. However, when this life is over... There will be a strict accounting of what we have done with our time. Boy, that is something, you know, all of us ADD guys draw up about, but it is true. See, Christians will give an account at the judgment seat of Christ, and unbelievers will give an account at the great white throne judgment of Revelation chapter 20. Make no mistake about it, sir. Make no mistake about it, ma'am. Make no mistake about it, young person. You will give an account for the life you have lived before God Almighty. It's important we understand that. So what did the psalmist say about that? The psalmist said in Psalm 90 and 12, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. If there's one thing I pray for, and if you say, hey, preacher, how can I pray for you this week? I I really would say to you, my heart is really burdened about that you would pray and say, God, uh, you know, uh, give my pastor wisdom. Give my church leadership wisdom. Give us wisdom in these days because that is something we all need more and more of. And we cannot honor God faithfully if we're not living and making decisions with a heart of wisdom. Let me say this to you about a heart of wisdom. If you have a heart of wisdom in the day and hour that we're living in, it will also create a heart of urgency. Amen? See, when people are not urgent sometimes, and I'm not talking about running around like a basket of nerves, turning cartwheels and wringing your hands saying, oh God, what are we going to do? I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about those who live with no sense of urgency in these last days of time. It's very alarming to me because why? Time is running out. Souls need to hear the gospel. Lives need to be changed. People need to be born again. And if we have a heart of wisdom, we will have a heart of urgency. What did Paul say to this about this? Well, he said to the Romans, in Romans chapter 13, verse 11 and following, he said this, And do this knowing the time that now it is high time that we awake out of our sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Do you sense the urgency in Paul's writing? He's not saying, hey, when you get around to it. Hey, when you don't have anything else more important going on. He's saying it is time to cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and enemy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Woo! He's saying, hey, all the world's got to offer you is passing away. It leads to eternal death. But what I am saying to you is if you put on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are to make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Paul is saying the church ought to have a heart of wisdom. The church ought to have a heart of urgency. And the church must be a living example of the way that Jesus Christ lived and existed on this earth. I don't know about you, but I've met a lot of people that like bargains, don't you? Anybody ever been to bargain bins? Come on, confess your redneckness. Amen. Okay, it's all right. My wife took me off to bargain bins one Friday night and has carried me more than one Friday night. And so she says, you're going to love it. Every few hours, they roll out all of these big tables and, and they line them up. And people line up down both sides of the tables. I'm not making this stuff up. Look here. And they line up and they're looking over and they're walking down and they're seeing what they can see on top. And then all of a sudden they make everybody back up and they go three, two, one, shot till you drop. <laughs> on Friday night, Marty, everything, seven bucks. Now I've done well on some things and I've done not so well. I found me one of them Brita little filtration water jugs. So I drank, you know, clean water, right? So I got, I said, seven bucks. I know what those things cost. They're 35, 40 bucks, ain't it? Well, I'm so happy I get home. I said, Angie, check me out. I got a Sabrina. I got a bargain. Seven dollars. And I opened it up. It had masking tape on it and had already been used by God knows who. Amen. <laughs> you know what I did with my tray? I, I took it to the dumpster. I just said, you know what? But you know what? I was not going to be denied, Marty. I was not going to take defeat just sitting down. So I go back. I like Ariat boots. I don't know what kind of boots you like. Ariat's my favorite kind of boot. I mean, and uh, they don't hurt my feet. And when you get to this age, comfort is everything. It's not about being cool no more, right? It's comfort, you know. Anyway, I got me some Ariat boots, and you get these inserts that go in them. They're about 25 bucks for the inserts after you pay $200 for the boots, right? Well, I was there, and I looked over, and I saw some Ariat insoles. And I got next to some people that didn't look as boot people-ish as me, amen? <laughs> so, so I thought, I think I can whip them. I can get to them before that. And I, I just watched, and I was acting like I wasn't paying attention I took my area insoles, so I got me some $25 area insoles for $7. Amen. So I redeemed myself, right? No, everybody likes to have a bargain. Y'all ever, y'all remember years ago that TV show used to come on extreme couponing? And I ain't got nothing against couponing, so don't think it's, I mean, there's nothing sinful about it. I think it's great. I had a lady in our church where I served church in Rome, Georgia, that she told me, she said, I hadn't bought toothpaste in five years. She said, I don't buy toothpaste, I don't buy toothbrushes, I don't buy washing powders, I don't buy paper towels, I don't buy toilet paper. She worked this little system. 
and she'd go into the store, but something happened. She would tell me her system, and my head would hurt just listening to the system. And, and, you know, and, and I mean, she would be like, y'all, y'all remember the, the, the progressive TV commercials, Flow? This lady was Flow. I mean, she'd, and she would, you know, my head started hurting. So one day I went to a CVS in Rome, Georgia, and I got behind one of her friends. An hour and a half later, I got my corn nuts and my Mountain Dew and left. But anyhow, it was melts. But see, when we find a bargain, we try to buy as much of that bargain as possible, don't we? See, that's what Paul was saying about the opportunities witness for Christ. Here's what he's saying. You need to buy up every opportunity you have to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And I want to remind you of something. That's exactly why the church was established in the first place. Amen? We, we've talked about it. Mentioned, Bobby mentioned me this morning what Ken Adams says. Jesus started the church the way he wanted it. Now he wants it back the way he started it. Oh, God, help us today. Remember that. It's very important. That is the mission of the church. Do you ever ask yourself, you know, preacher, you just told us the church is here to share the gospel, win people to Jesus Christ. We have it right in our statement. Share God's word, show God's love, send God's people. That's why we're here. But do you ever ask yourself, not just why is the church here, but why am I here? That's a good question. See, I can answer both of those questions beginning with, why you're here. Then we'll talk about the church. But before I tell you why you're here, can I tell you why you're not here? <laughs> Say, no, preacher, you can't. Well, he's going to anyway, right? There are some things you need to know about why you're not here before you'll ever get clear about why you are here. One thing is you are not here to just take up space. You are not here to absorb and consume all the blessings of the Lord. We have a very consumer-driven mentality today and not so much a servant-driven mentality. See, you are not here to be critical of everyone else and you're not here to satisfy your own desires. You are here for a divinely called purpose. Your purpose and aim is to honor the Lord Jesus Christ with your life. Paul said that in 2 Corinthians 5, 9. He said this, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to the Lord. No, those are some reasons you're not here, but here's why you are here. You are here to demonstrate the lifestyle qualities of the Lord Jesus Christ, both to those inside the church and those outside in the world. You are here to be a blessing to others by offering support, encouragement, and prayers on behalf of those who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus. And you are here to satisfy the perfect will of a holy God who is worthy of our praise. That's why you are here. i never forget, I was hearing a seminary professor told us one time, he said, boys, most of y'all educated way beyond your obedience. I've got on my wall, it says I've been licensed to preach the gospel. It says I've been ordained to preach the gospel. There's a bachelor's degree and a master's degree. And you know what that means? Absolutely nothing. One time, W.A. Chriswell said, you boys get so caught up in all those letters after your name 
He said, you D-men, you Ph.D. and you D.D. And he said, you know what it means? He said, it sounds like fiddle D.D. to me. Junior Hill said, Sometime, one time I never forget him saying, you know how you pronounce Ph.D.? It don't mean a thing. Those things don't make me an obedient follower of Jesus Christ, nor would they make you. But can I say this to you today from the depths of my heart? We don't need to be educated beyond our obedience. We need to put our education to work from the church and wherever it might be to be obedient followers of Jesus Christ and live lives well-pleasing to him. I've heard some people say this about preachers before. You may even say it about me, and that's okay. They'll say, well, the church is not very pleased with the pastor. They're not very happy with him. Well, God bless him. That's not really why God brought him there in the first place. And I've heard preachers say this. It ain't all on y'all. Look at I heard preachers say that. Well, I, I guess I'm happy right now. Or I'm not happy. Well, neither, God does not bring a pastor to a church to make the church happy, nor does he bring a pastor to that church so he will be happy. God brings them together so they will be holy. <laughs> so they will walk in the holiness and in fellowship and union with God and accomplish the purpose of God. Our happiness is not really that important to God. He's not in heaven going, oh, God, Brian ain't happy today. Oh, God, my little people down at Heflin aren't happy today. No, he's saying, may the Spirit of God move the man of God today to preach my word so that people will be changed and give their lives for the glory of God. That's what matters to him. Oh, that's what matters to him. You know why? I read to you, say, Corinthians 5, 9, about living well-pleasing, but guess what verses 10 and 11 say? It's talking to the church. If you're a child of God today, You've repented of your sins and you've trusted Jesus Christ, him alone as Savior. Here's where you're going to be one day. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your Consciences. Walk with us with me for a minute. We understand this passage very clearly. And it is meant to illustrate the need for holy living in preparation for the judgment seat of Christ. Because that is the day when all believers, small and great, will be judged for works done in the body since you became a believer. Yet I want you to know there is a portion of that verse that reminds us that judgment is not about us. But it's about those who are unprepared to meet the Lord. Verse 11 uses the phrase, the terror of the Lord. You're like, what does that mean? Well, the word terror is also translated fear. So that begs the question today. Does God want us to fear him? And if so, what does that mean? Here's what it literally means. It literally means that we live our lives in an attitude of reverential awe of his holiness and his majesty. That's how he expects you and I to live. Here's something Henry Blackaby said about it and I think it's wonderful. He said, the fear of God is the greatest deterrent to sin. 
Those who perceive God as a benevolent, gentle grandfather will treat their sin superficially. You won't get serious about your sin until you understand the holiness and the fear of God. He says they will worship half-heartedly. They will live on their own terms rather than God's. Boy, I see a lot of God's people doing that today. But he said this, but a reverent fear of a holy God will dramatically affect the way a person lives. Church, hear me. If you don't hear anything I say today, if you block me out to this point, tune in for 10 seconds. If you don't live your life in the fear of God, you will never accomplish the will of God. You will live a superficial, half-hearted life that does not bring glory to God. Oh, hear me. Well, let me tell you something. Let me go on with Blackaby there. I, a lot of wisdom in this man. He said, our world does not applaud fearfulness. We teach our children to love God, but not to fear him. Oh, my goodness. Did you hear that? Oh, son, y'all love God, but we don't teach them to fear him. We want to present a loving, non-threatening image of God to non-believers and hope that Christianity would be more appealing to them. Let's try to sell them on something. We're not selling anything. We are sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say this. One of the great condemnations of our day may be that we have lost the fear of God. We promote him as a best friend who saves us and lives in our hearts, but we do not fear him. It is true that we are God's adopted children and we are fellow heirs, even friends with Jesus, but we are not his equals. He has forgiven us, but we are still his creatures. He is God, and we are not. God help us. See, because we fear him, Paul said that our fear ought to become a motivation to persuade others. Excuse me, persuade others. Let me ask you today, based on your testimony, based on the way you live inside these walls and beyond, who is being persuaded that is not a believer to become a believer based on what they see in you? Is there anything in you that would compel them to say, I need to know this God that my friend knows or my neighbor knows or my coworker knows. I need to know this God. And the reason I need to know him is I see the change. I see the evidence of what Jesus Christ has done in their life and I need to know him. Who is being influenced that way? God help us. Who could literally watch your life and be persuaded to forsake their sin and turn to Christ as Savior? Who could come and watch you and view your life and say they are so in love with Jesus and Jesus is working so radically in their life I need to know him. Friends, hear me. Let's redeem those 1,440 minutes. Let's redeem those 86,400 seconds. And let's live in the fear of the Lord. Let's persuade men, women, boys, and girls to come to Jesus. Why? I love this quote. Richard Stearns from World Vision wrote a book called The Hole in Our Gospel about missions. And he said this, When our churches become spiritual spas in which we retreat from the world, our salt loses its saltiness and we are no longer able to impact the culture. Spiritual spas. Hang out. Be comfortable. Don't let anybody see anything that might offend you. Because I want you to hear me today. In and of my flesh, I, do, I don't want to offend anybody. 
But the word of God is what I preach, and it is offensive to those who live outside its truth. God help us. Let me finish with verse 6 today, where he talks about not only our walk, our work, but also our words. <laughs> Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Friend, you know words are pretty powerful, aren't they? Sure they are. They're one of the most powerful forces in this world. You may have been to a point where you've had somebody speak words that hurt you, words that ripped you to shreds. And then they will say, well, I didn't mean that the way it sounded. I had a lady call me on the phone one day. I'll never forget this. A lady I've known all my life. <laughs> she called and said, Hi, we, we've had a death in our family. And uh, Would you help us? Could you help us by doing the funeral service? And Explained everything I said. Told me the date time. I said, I'd be glad to help you. I said, uh, anything I need to know? And I went through all the stuff. She said, well, I, I hate to call you, but I just want you to know there's, there's just really nobody else left. <laughs> That's what I did, too. I went, <laughs> punch me in the throat. And, you know, I, I've never been an egotistical maniac or nothing, but if I was, you just clean that up, lady. But... And I kind of laughed at it, and here's what she said. Well, I didn't mean that the way it sounded. <laughs> let, let, me, let me help you. Yes, she did. <laughs> and look here, if you don't learn how to laugh about stuff like that, you won't last long in ministry because that kind of stuff's going to happen. Yeah, just nobody, everybody, all the, all the good preachers done died, and you're all we got, you know. That's, <laughs> that's <laughs> That may be the way you feel about me, but I want you to know it ain't the way I feel about you, okay? <laughs> See, the key word for this verse is the word grace. Paul said that we're to speak in a manner that is wholesome, that is fitting, that is kind, that is sensitive, that is complimentary, gentle, truthful, loving, and thoughtful. As Christians, we're recipients of the grace of God, aren't we? Aren't you grateful for God's amazing grace? Mm. And when we speak that grace should come forth in our lives. And I want you to know, God has done a work in my heart over the years. God has certainly, there were times when I was younger, I'd speak a lot quicker than I do now. There were times I would react very differently than I do now. There were times when people would do things wrong, sinful, or disappointing, and I was real quick to jump. But I've learned lots of times what God wants me to do is remember that the reason I'm here is because people need to know that they need to change. And the only way I can help you to change is to stay with you in your trial. Amen. Amen. It's one thing to point out error, but we've also got to have a plan of reproving where we want to correct that error through the Word of God. There's so much I could say, and there's so many other things I could talk about, but let me just get to this because I, I believe your gluteus maximus is about worn out. Look at Paul concludes verse 6 with this interesting statement that you may know how to answer each one. You know, you ought to have an answer. There's a word, fancy word in the Greek language called apologia, which is where we get our English word apologetics. It's being able to give a defense, a ready defense. Some wonderful ones I have read over the years, great apologists, and that statement alone is why God has so gripped my heart about the need to disciple those that come and place their faith in Jesus Christ. And I want you to know something. People talk about, well, I don't, I don't, I'll never be a Bible scholar. And I want you to know, neither will I, neither with you. And I don't really believe there are any such things. We call them scholars and theologians. But can we break it down to the bare facts that we're really just all Bible students, aren't we? 
We're just students of the scripture regardless of your worldly attainments, regardless of what you know degrees you got on the wall and all that kind of stuff, regardless of what people say or think. Now, we're all really just students of the Bible. Some have just been at it longer. Some have gone deeper. Some can help us. And you do need to learn from people that are blazed a trail ahead of you. I believe that. But it's certain, and we will not have all the answers. But it's vitally important that every Christian be ready to defend the faith. Not just jump on defense and all that, but be able to give an answer for what you believe, why you believe it, and why it has so radically changed your life. Here's what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, The Christian's walk and talk must be in harmony with each other. Nothing will silence the lips like a careless life. You got a careless testimony, a careless life, one that doesn't, if your, your walk don't match your talk, you know what? Your testimony will not have the influence God meant it to have until you repent and get right with God. I'm here to tell you, they will silence the careless life. See, when character, conduct, and conversation, here's what Wiersbe said, are all working together, it makes for a powerful witness. If you want to have a powerful witness, let your character, conduct, and conversation all match. But I want you to know something. There are two voices competing for your attention among so many, but there is the voice of the world and there is the voice of God. I want you to hear me. When the world says some things to you, you've got to look and see what God has to say about it. When the world tells you it's time to give up, God says it's time for you to rise up. When the world says you're, you're finished, God says you're just getting started. When the world says nobody loves you, God reminds you, I do. When the world says you're a failure, God says, but you got a great future. The world says it's too late to start, God always reminds you it's too soon to quit. <laughs> it's a verse I say to myself every day, just said just a moment ago in my heart before God mentioned it when I prayed for y'all. Psalm 19, 14. I hope you'd highlight it in your Bible and write it on the tablet of your heart. Well, the psalmist says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my strength and my redeemer. So what's the invitation today, preacher? Here it is. If I can lead you to do anything in the world, the one thing that is paramount in my heart is to lead you to fall in love with Jesus Christ. See, if you're going to be a disciple, a fully devoted follower of Christ, you're going to have to fall in love with him. When you fall in love with him, you don't care if the world knows. When I fell in love with my wife, I didn't care if the world knows. She's been with me 35 years, and almost 32 of those we've been married. And we've traveled this journey together, and I do not, I don't, I am unashamed to declare my love, allegiance, and dedication to her. I am unashamed to declare my love, allegiance, and dedication to Jesus Christ. I am unashamed to, to let the world know of my allegiance, care, compassion, and love for this local body and for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because I first fell in love with him. I want to encourage you today to fall in love with Jesus because if you've got to ask yourself today, what on earth matters so much that I would allow it to stop me from fulfilling God's purpose for my life? What on earth could be that important? See, I can confidently say to you today, when I stand before God in judgment, there's one thing and only one thing that will matter to you. The only thing that will matter to you when you stand before God in judgment is what have you done for the Lord? What did you do with Jesus Christ? And for you believer, what have you done with Jesus Christ since you became a believer?
Here's what the Bible tells us. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care on him, for he cares for you. I know there's some strong words in the text about walking in wisdom, about redeeming the time, and about making sure you are living and walking by grace that you're allowed. And I could talk for 35 minutes about letting your speech be seasoned with salt, but we'll catch it another time. There's so many things in there that we still could talk about that are very important, but I want you to hear me. The reason the Word of God speaks so strongly, the reason Paul penned them so passionately, and the reason God calls preachers like me to stand before you and sweat and spit and, and, and bleed, to, to, to plead with you, as I'll tell you why, is because you matter that much to him. You say, I don't matter to anybody. Listen, you matter to God and you matter to me. You matter to the people in this room and don't let anybody ever tell you that. If there's one lie the devil's ever tried to sell me on over the years is, Brent, nobody cares. You're done. You're washed up. You're, you're old news, man. You started young, but you're, you're old now. And all that kind of, but can I tell you what? It's the Spirit of God that reminds me that as long as I have and I can feel a beating heart, that there is purpose. If you can put your hand over your heart today and you feel a little thump, 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 and you put your hand under your nostrils and you feel respirations, that means God still has a purpose for you. And that purpose is that you'd fall in love with him. Pray with me. Father, it's in the strong name of Jesus I humbly pray right now. God, I pray for those in this room who feel the moving and the urging of the Holy Spirit of God. God, I pray for those right here in this room right now that sense that, God, you are moving upon them to make a decision for you. For some, Lord, it may be a decision for salvation. They realize they are lost without you and they need to be born again today. For your children, God, it may be a decision that they would be restored, a decision of restoration. Maybe lost the joy of serving you and loving you. For some, it may be that they want to make sure their life is a living example, a living demonstration of devotion to the Son of God. For some, it may be to be a part of this church family. For some, it may be steps of obedience walking with you, following you in believers' baptism. God, I don't know what needs are among this group today, but I know you do. And I pray whatever needs need to be met, whatever decisions need to be made, that everyone will be made in accordance to your will for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Stand with me all across the house today. Before Marty leads us, hear me, this little song and chorus, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Isn't it amazing that that's how he calls? With still, small voice, the sweet Holy Spirit of God speaks into your soul and invites you to follow Christ. I pray you will honor that today. You will heed his voice. We'll be right here to help you with any need you got.
I just encourage you to come to Jesus today. Marty, lead us when you're ready. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. Jesus for speaking to us today. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Thank you. As you're being seated, our ushers are coming and receive our morning tithes and offerings. So good to see all of you here this morning, as I was saying, last week or right around Memorial Day. I trust if you can, and I know many of our folks are either at youth camp today. I said 39 students and about eight adults, I think, and then uh, several others are on some vacation and work-related trips, so a lot of folks traveling need our prayers, and through the summer, if you get an opportunity and you can spend some time with your family, I'd encourage you to do that, but if you're in town, I'll encourage you to be in the house of the Lord here and worship, because we're going to have a good time, amen? I came up to the choir this morning, and they looked a little, they were a little cold, I mean, they were like, you know, generally a little cold in the sanctuary, and I told them, I said, don't worry, it's going to heat up here in this little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but anyhow, uh, do want to tell you the, how much that means to uh, do pray as we give today. Uh, two weeks from yesterday, our Utah team will be on the ground there next uh, Saturday week from Saturday, 
and we'll be uh, actually this time two weeks now we'll actually be in worship service there at Awaken City Church 15 of us this time so we appreciate your continued prayers as final preparations are made I would encourage if you're on the team we'll be watching your email this week for a final list packing list and some of that kind of stuff to make sure that we got it all together but do pray uh, for safety but can I tell you this as much as I ask you to pray for safety always pray for obedience over safety amen always pray for open doors you know for the gospel and for that we're going to have a great time and you'll be getting a report soon on vacation bible school and you'll be getting a report soon on the youth camp and all that's going on and our utah trip so several sundays in july you can be prepared to get kind of bombarded with what happened with vbs and and youth retreat and our uh, mission trip to utah but i want to say this to you again before we give today thank you church for embracing church planning thank you for embracing the partnership we have in utah and can I tell you, I've got two meetings this week, and I want you to pray about them in advance because our opportunities to invest in partnering with church planters, I told you Utah was only the beginning, didn't I? Remember me telling you that in 2018, and then we got to 20, and everything, the wheels came off everything. There's 22 now. Look here. We are really excited about the possibilities of other opportunities, some closer, some farther. But uh, I really believe, and I want to thank you for your embracing of that. Thank you for trusting me and, and trusting God, but trusting me to lead you where God's leading me. And I appreciate that, and I'm so humbled by that. But as we move forward, um, you know, it's, it, if you're going to get out there with the fruit, you've got to get out on the limbs, don't you? You don't get fruit hugging the, hugging the tree trunk. So uh, do pray for what's coming up in the coming weeks about possible new opportunities to be involved in other mission opportunities here in the southeast and parts of this country and beyond so we just we just i just want to thank you from my heart for embracing the dream because god sent me here with a dream in my heart he put the dream in my heart long before i got here i didn't know it was for heflin until i got here and boy how good god's been so as we give today be thankful to be a part of a missional church a church that is not just sitting here admiring the aquarium well we're going to fish for men amen and as we do that today as we give you have confidence knowing you're part of a local church that is committed to missions committed to evangelism considered committed to the gospel and we're just believe god's going to do great things through that let's join our hearts together and ask god's blessings on our giving father we just come to you lord thank you for all your many blessings father we thank you lord for your spirit god that we felt here today father we thank you lord for your word god that was preached Take up the offering, God. I pray, Lord, that you just anoint it, God. Bless it, Lord, and, and just allow us to use it for 
hey, let me leave you this today. I, I've always encouraged y'all to be uh, avidly reading uh, so that you, your spirit will be pumped with the things of God and be challenged and changed. I've been reading recently a couple of books. I can usually have two going at one time, sometimes three. Uh, but uh, I mentioned y'all about reading Stressless Life last week. But I've been reading one called Canoe in the Mountains. And this book is about uh, Christian leadership in uncharted territory. And uh, it was written before the pandemic, but it's so applicable to now because we are in uncharted territory. And one of the things the writer of the book says is, you know, what's the answer with the changing climate, the changing culture, the way people view church and things like that. And he said, when your back's against the wall, the answer is not just to try harder. How many of you were raised to just try harder when things get rough, right? All of us. All of us had parents that just told us, hey, you know, got to grab those bootstraps, boy. You got to pick them up. You can't be laying down. You know, you, you just got to try harder. If something's missing, then it's something with your effort. And can I tell you, we're learning, and I believe this is true. The answer is not always about trying harder. It's not always about our effort. And here's what this uh, author, Todd, Todd Bolsinger, says. He says, when your back's against the wall, the answer is not just to try harder. It's to start a new adventure. <laughs> I like that. Start a new adventure. To reach and just trust God for greater things and not just try to work harder in and of yourself. To really trust him and not just try harder. You know what that does? That flies in the face of everything we are as humans because we're selfish by nature. We're sinners. And it's not our nature to just trust. It's our nature to work harder and fix it. And I don't know about you. I've fallen victim to that in the past because I've thought if there's a problem, the problem's me. The problem really is is that we've got to trust God for a new adventure. And I want to encourage you to never give up dreaming God for dreaming and believing God for bigger things for his glory. Amen. It's not just about big buildings. It's not about that. It's about a big God who uses little old people like you and me to accomplish extraordinary things for his glory. Amen? And I'm just believing God for that today. But I want you to know today, as you leave out here today, don't forget that I love you, and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. Deacon's going to meet at 4 today. Choir's going to meet at 4.30. Other than that, Wednesday night at 6, I hope you'll find your place here, children, children students, and adults. And let's just try. We're having a short business meeting this Wednesday night. Just take care of a few business matters. But nothing major, but we would, you need to be here to see what's going on, okay? All right, I love you, and I can tell you, nothing you can do about it. Let's stand together. Marty's going to sing us out, and I'll go around front to catch you.